Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And I can't wait for you to hear the conversation that I just recorded with my friend John Root. He is somebody that I think we need to keep our eyes on. I think he's really up and coming in the world of apologetics and theology. And what I really appreciate about John is that he seems to really keep his eyes on what's biblical not getting pulled to the right or to the left. In fact, that's what we talked about today is this concept that he brought up to me called Christless conservatism. And it's something I've been seeing even in media where you sort of have these um, unholy alliances going on where people are almost putting politics over the gospel or over their Christian faith or their biblical values. Whereas it's like, if we can all just agree on this one political point, then we're gonna let our theology flow out of that. But that's a really scary place to be because as we've learned on the podcast before, uh, that's what progressive Christians do. They start with their politics and their theology flows downstream from that. As biblical Christians, we need to always keep our eyes on what is the biblical path. And sometimes that's gonna line up with some of the you know con conservative politics, sometimes it's not. But I loved some highlights for me from this episode where when we talked about how the Christless conservatism arises in arenas like gender and male-female balance, the masculinity versus femininity, and you have kind of these um, heroes of conservative culture right now who are really promoting an unbiblical ideal of what a man should be. And so uh, John kind of uh, commented on the Andrew Tate phenomenon. We even talked about, sadly, how Dennis Prager from PragerU has had some really problematic views on pornography, really, I mean, problematic isn't even the right word. I, I think it's unholy <laughs> ideas. And that doesn't mean that we don't love a lot of what Dennis Prager says, but it's just important for you to hear some of this stuff because as Christians, our loyalty really should always be to Christ alone, right? And, and that means that sometimes we're going to need to criticize some ideas from people that we would otherwise agree with on a lot of things. And so we talked about the NAR quite a bit today and how NAR tends to infiltrate some of these types of movements that are focusing on unity and revival and how that manifests into a Christless conser conservatism. Can't wait for you to hear this. This this was maybe one of my favorite conversations this whole year. So without any further ado, here's John Root. 
Well, John, great to have you on the podcast. I have been following some of your work online and just loving your vision. And uh, we met at the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy a while back, and we ended up being seated next to one another at one of the dinners. And you mentioned a phrase that I just went, that's it. I want to talk about that. And that phrase is Christless conservatism. And we're even calling this episode, Beware of Christless Conservatism, because I think that's something that many Christians can get caught up in and not realize it. And I assume that there's probably even people watching us today who are well-meaning Christians, and they're trying to figure out, how do I balance my political views and my engagement politically with my values as a Christian and and with what my priorities even are as a Christian? So, um, John, talk about that phrase, because that was such a captivating phrase. And why did you say it like that? And what do you mean by that? Well, thanks again for having me on. It's seriously, it's so fun hanging out with you. I've been following your work like crazy. Frank Turk is obviously a great friend of ours. And there's so many amazing people at the Instructors Academy. It's yes. fun to be able to go go to a place, do a little presentation on apologetics and be like, I never really pretended I knew a ton, um, but it's nice to kind of fail a little bit. It's like, oh, maybe <laughs> this is how you explain things a little bit here. Here's how you can push back on some of these questions here. Uh, but with priceless conservatism, I worked for Turning Point USA for two and a half years. God put me in the position to work in conservative media after spending about a decade in sports media in the San Francisco Bay Area specifically. And it was such a blessing to be there. But there were times where I noticed people started trying on Jesus or Christianity as a trendy outfit. Like I'm going to mm. call myself a Christian. Maybe that will get the evangelical vote or I'll talk about some Judeo Christian ideals. That's talked about a ton. You're hearing that from people like Vivek Ramaswamy. So you're like, all right, so you're a Hindu, but you align with us with some of these Judeo Christian values, but does Judeo and Christian, do those really go together? And then things we're noticing with so much of the LGBTQ issues uh, we're starting to see compromise here and they're going to justify things there to where I was starting to think a lot more of like God's given us this land. He's given us these platforms, given us these opportunities and crisis conservatism is thinking that somehow we can find progress and ultimate progress and success and fulfillment in America without Christ mm. or maybe a redefined version of Christ. And I think a lot of people have started to idolize politics and mm. find so much fulfillment in politics and thinking that maybe conservative politics will be their savior. But if you ha if you're conservative without Christ, you know, eternally you're dead. Like you, yeah. you are going nowhere. You might find a little fulfillment there. You might find a little success there. But what are you working towards? What is this the foundation? Because it's ultimately conservatism without Christ. It's built on sand. Yeah, that's so good. And I remember several years ago, and I actually recommend this resource to people to listen to because it was a fascinating conversation. But I don't know if you watched this, but it probably came out in 2019. And it was two atheists. I think it was uh, Bogosian and uh, James Lindsay and a pastor. And they were predicting wokeness. And they were noting that, hey, the atheist and the Christian were actually on the same page when it comes to wokeness, because it's a whole different way of even evaluating what's true. And 
um, I forget what it was called, but it, it was a fascinating conversation. And at the time, I was like, this is great. I mean, this is like, that's weird when the atheists and the Christians are in the same foxhole fighting something, right? And I think that it's it's good for us to uh, find everybody that might be on a the page of saying, hey, we want to know what's true about reality. We have to defend that truth exists. It's not just a, a matter of somebody's oppressed status that determines what's true, something like that. That's all good. But it's like today, fast forward these few years, it seems like all of the lines are being blurred and it can be very confusing for Christians. And I just wanted to read this quote from uh, philosopher Doug Groyteis in his book, uh, Fire in the Streets. He talked about what a conservative is and he calls himself a conservative, although he does not affiliate with a particular political party. But he said this, a conservative seeks to ameliorate ills as much as possible and is quick to critique ill-fated and unrealistic attempts to fundamentally change human nature. Conservatives, given their constrained view, are eagle-eyed to spot the unintended, unintended consequences of political overreach or statism. And I think that's something that a lot of Christians could agree with atheists about. Like, we we do want to do these things because we're, we're coming out of our biblical principles. But when there's this almost marriage of all different worldviews now coming into this umbrella, including atheism and whatever else it might be, and then as you aptly noted, just a minute ago, that can almost become what we think is going to be our savior rather than Jesus Christ. And so maybe before, we're going to talk about a few different areas where there's this Christless version of conservatism versus like how we would approach it as Christians. But before we even do that, talk talk a little bit about conservatism even and um, how that needs to be kept in balance. Like that should flow from our theology, not our theology flowing out of our politics, because as we know, that's kind of how progressive Christianity works. They start with the politics, the theology flows out of that, and then things go off the rails. Yeah, we've seen so many different ideologies and theologies, especially on the left, we're going to see like liberation theology. Like now Jesus is just this liberator. He's just like this um, 60s hippie guru that just wants all this love and wants to get rid of the oppression. And then we Uh, see this stuff now. Conservatism, it's like, yes, we want small government because we saw, especially during the pandemic, we just got totally used and abused. And I think probably, I don't know, there's better studies than me just saying this, but I think in general, we are a trusting people because we built, this nation has been built up to be the freest, most prosperous, most open society in the history of the entire world. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. But when you think about conservatism, it's a conserving of what? It's a conservative of what's the most important thing that a lot of these candidates are running on right now is the family. Kids are under attack. Um, I don't think I'm hearing a ton of talk about fatherlessness, but that is an absolute epidemic that is hitting especially the black community. And that's yeah. not talked about uh, quite enough. But we think about marriage. Is that actually being conserved? Because we're seeing more news from the California GOP. They're deciding to almost punt that issue. And then we're Mm. seeing a compromise from even people like Trump. Um, And this is not just a a Trump bashing thing, because I've I've seen it from many other conservatives or or Republicans. And also knowing that Republican and conservative don't necessarily mesh together very well. I think that's why we see the conservative movement take off. But a lot of people might be thinking like, okay, like, I'm not a Christian, like, stop pushing all these beliefs on me. But what did our founding fathers do? They didn't build a church, they built a nation, but they knew that nation was under God. They Mm. knew there was inalienable rights 
that did not come from government. They did not come from man. They came from God. And there was also an establishment of marriage that was designed and perfected by God. We can't redefine those things. I think that's what we're starting to see in conservatism. And as we get in this conversation, we're seeing, can you really consider yourself a conservative if you aren't conserving marriage? Can you consider yourself a conservative if you're falling in line with these ideologies that really don't line up with something that's built upon a rock or connected to Christ and, and his word? That's where I think we see the waters muddied very much just because people want to get votes or they want to look as accepting. Um, but they'll, of course, go fight against the very far left of the pendulum and fight that evil. But they want to try to maybe compromise a little bit here to get a few more votes, to get people mm. have a, a bigger tent, whatever they want to call it. Yeah, no, that's good. So let's talk about a few areas where. I I personally have seen it quite a bit in the area of masculinity, femininity, the male-female balance and the roles that we play. Of course, you know, biblically speaking, male and female are made in God's image. That's a really important category biblically from Genesis all the way to Revelation is how we interact and interplay with one another and what that means for the church and what that means for the home. And it's interesting because in almost in these conservative circles, I've seen people like Andrew Tate. Now, I I asked you to talk about him a little bit because when we were off air, I'm like, we got to talk about this guy because I I haven't really engaged with much of his his material, but apparently he's very popular. So, you know, maybe we'll start there. What does Andrew Tate say? And what's his influence, by the way, for anybody who's unfamiliar with him? Is he more popular in conservative circles? And what's he saying? He's very popular in conservative circles. I think there's some people that have dropped off based off the, the allegations that have happened in Romania. I mean, Plain and simple, he's a debaucherous porno, like pornographer that is not to be followed at all. He's a bad dude. But, yeah. I mean, he was a kick, kickboxer, so he's like, he's super fit and in shape, encouraging people. Like, kind of like, people might know who David Goggins is, so he's maybe like an anti-woke David Goggins in the sense of athleticism and working out and pushing men to, to push their body. Like, yes, that is a good thing, because we hear way too much about People are just like, just be you, like you don't have to be fit, you can stay at home and eat Cheetos, blah, blah. But <laughs> this has turned into why do we look to Andrew Tate as the poster boy of masculinity? Because in general, this guy ran a webcam business where he basically just bamboozled men out of millions and millions of dollars, uh, got people addicted to pornography, started mm. reaching out to underage girls to have them be a part of this webcam business. Uh, he has not been. Uh, faithful to women. He's been abusive to women. And I think people have decided they want to push this to the side because another person too, that I just, I don't really suggest looking up photos of this man, but Dan Bilzerian was a massive figure online, uh, maybe a little over five years ago. Cause he's a super fit guy. I uh, played poker, had a ton of money, had a big yacht. He was hanging out with a bunch of women and there's a lot of susceptible young men that are just like, oh, that must be awesome to have all this mm. money, have all this women. And then Andrew Tate's just kind of like the anti-woke version of Dan Blazarian. That's that's what I would say. But Andrew Tate, like he said a lot of true stuff, but there is an immense amount of men that we could go to before Andrew Tate to really fight against wokeness, fight against evil, because I don't know why you would want to team up with evil to fight evil. That's what it seems mm. like is happening here. And I'm seeing some conservatives kind of play PR for him. Obviously, I mean, 
Candace Owens just had a interview with him and I just don't really feel like research was really done. He tried to say some things were done 10 years ago when there's clear evidence that he was talking about um, some things like, I hopefully people are okay with some language, uh, but like he was talking about a PhD program and it's a pimping hose degree that he was mm. promoting um, in yeah. 2020. And I think, unfortunately, people don't do their research and they desperately want to find some sort of masculine figure um, that's going to be a good example for young men to fight against the woke. But I think that's where we see that crisis conservatism come in that like, yes, like we might not like some ways that he talks or some things from the past, but, you know, Andrew Tate, he's got he's got an audience. So let's try tapping into it. And I think it is only going to do more harm than good. Mm, this is so good because I, I would assume that young men who feel beat down, especially, I mean, let's just be honest, in the woke culture, if you're a white male, you're just like the bottom of society. You're considered the problem of everything. And so I can imagine it would be. I don't even have to say anything. <laughs> where it's like blonde hair, blue eyed. I, I know. Yeah, I know. What you don't even are, get an opinion, busy. John. You don't even <laughs> get an opinion. But, you know, I would imagine it would be attractive for a young guy, especially who feels so beat down by the woke culture to to be attracted to somebody like Andrew Taylor who's got this sort of this faux or, you know, veneer of masculinity, but it's not godly masculinity. Obviously, as you've pointed out, there's there's all sorts of things he's promoting and even being, uh, you know, alleged that he has done that are that are totally anti what the Bible would tell a man to be like. And it reminds me of something I saw this week, and I wish that I knew who the singer was because I'm so not a country music fan, so I never can remember who the names were, but it came down my Instagram feed. And it wasn't the, it was, I think, Jason Aldean, that whole thing happened. It might have been him. I don't know. But it was this song that was basically like, F you, F, and it was everybody on the left, like, F them, F them, you know, we're tired. And it's like, I, okay, I understand, like, I relate with the sentiment of just being so over it. But at the same time, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. Our response should not just be F this and F that and F you. It should be, okay, first of all, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to bless those who curse us. So there's all sorts of character and integrity issues that seem to be slipping through the cracks with some of these things. And like, I, I want to bring up another example because you addressed this on your YouTube channel, which I did not even know this. But so many Christians, I think, they'll go to something like a Prager U and they'll say, well, you know, I don't know, whatever I want to think, I'm just going to think what they think, Prager U, right? Well, you know, Dennis Prager is a good thinker. He's a smart guy. He's got a lot of really good things to say. But you pointed out that there have been times when he was interviewed by uh, Matt Frad, who uh, is a, a, an acquaintance of mine, too. I've been on Matt's channel. And he was asking him about animated child porn. Is that evil? And Dennis Prager said, well, no, I can't say that it is. And of course, that that's shocking to a Christian, but we have to realize that he's operating out of uh, a, a purely Jewish mindset, which, you know, we have Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We have the context of Jesus taking the law and saying, you've heard it said, you know, about adultery. Well, you've committed adultery if you've lusted after her in your heart, right? So Jesus brings it into the heart. But even on um, uh, Jordan Peterson's show, Jordan Peterson asked Prager about pornography, and he said in the Jewish worldview, it's just the behavior. So it's really not a matter of the heart or the mind. Um, talk about that one a little bit, because that that really surprised me. But Christians need to be aware of this, that it's OK. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to follow Prager or listen to him and engage with his ideas, but don't just take everything in as if this is the Christian worldview. Yeah, and I'd preface my answer with Dennis Prager, I hope that he understands that people like me and so many other people that are concerned and rightfully concerned about his comments aren't trying to 
indict him for his entire career. Like, right. there are screw ups and there's some things that clearly he can be wrong about. And I think, unfortunately, we get so hooked on these personalities on the conservative side to think like, ah, I, I mean, Dennis Prager and Prager, you have done so much good stuff. So I don't really think I'm going to say anything. So uh, and then there is the other side of like, if we bring this stuff up, we have to remember that like we can have some pushback to these people and hopefully they can have enough accountability around them to push them to a higher standard to say, hey, you'll probably need an answer for this. Uh, there's some people that are rightfully upset. Uh, they, they don't hate you, Dennis, but they do hate what you said. And those two specific examples I brought up was uh, when he was on Pints with Aquinas. Uh, obviously, like we differ with Matt theologically just in a major ways, but he yeah. was so spot on in this specific instance and uh, Dennis was also to maybe the most egregious thing was when Matt ended up asking him, like, well, what about masturbation to, to these things? Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't believe that it's evil either. But Dennis tries to focus on like, oh, it's just the action. It's like, well, masturbation is an action. Right. And, you're, you're and then also, too, when he was on uh, Jordan Peterson's program for Daily Wire, he was saying that, you know, it's not a good substitute for adultery to look at pornography, um, but it is still a substitute and it is not evil. It, these kind of things, it's like, you are compromising. You are now telling young men that, you know what? You can view porn. That's totally fine. Um, at least you're not having sex with your girlfriend. At least you're not just sleeping around in general. At least you're like, heaven forbid, dealing with anything with, with minors. Like, we see things like Sound of Freedom right now, and it's exposing this industry that is almost as big as the weapons and drug trade. Mm. Like, we are rotting the minds of young men with people like Andrew Tate. And I'm not putting Dennis and Andrew in the same box at right. all, but you hear, uh, you have young men that are like, yeah, I'm going to Andrew Tate, and you have a clear, unbiblical idea of what submission is. They think that submission is like, I'm just going to be this rock hard guy that's just jacked out of his mind. You, I want a woman that just will never say no and almost be like, okay, with a little bit of physical abuse. That is mm. rotting young minds. You have Dennis that's now saying, you know, it's not as bad as these actions. So maybe you can dive into that. It's like, no, like porn just absolutely ruins relationships. It does. It takes a massive toll on marriages. And a lot of the time, because men are so addicted to porn, they won't love women and appreciate women and look at women in this godly manner, in this biblical standard that, that we're held to. So I, I'm really bummed that Dennis is now taking this as like, he's not a victim. And again, I would say like Dennis has done some incredible things. He's an incredible mind. I really hope that he finds Jesus. That would be mo the most incredible thing he's ever done in, in his career is if there was a real relationship with Jesus, a yeah. surrendering to Jesus and a following of Jesus, that would be greater than anything PragerU has ever done, any speech he has ever given. But with this specific situation, like, Dennis, this is wrong. This is evil. Like you said on the Sermon on the Mount, like, these are still sins. Yeah, it might be like a, a lesser sin if people want to focus on that, but it's still a separation from God. It is still tearing at hearts across America and across the world. And if they think that Dennis is somehow giving them the okay to view pornography, 
and dive into a few of these things just because it's not as bad and they can't consider it evil. I mean, it's only hurting young men specifically. Mm, that's so good. And you posted recently, too, about and I just would love to give uh, our audience, especially any young men that might be listening who are feeling caught between these worlds and trying to navigate this and they feel confused. What, you know, I love it. You said this men are, are essential and men are essential. And, and I, this is something I'm so passionate about is the, the sort of interaction between the sexes that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made all of us made in the image of God, male and female, but there are differences between us. And sadly, I think modern feminism has persuaded a whole lot of women that those differences mean that if we don't do and act and, and achieve everything men do in a particular way, then we are somehow oppressed or we, we don't have it as good or something like that. And then on the other hand, though, our culture, feminism, it, it hates men as well. And it wants to demoralize men and, and erase everything good. And this was really clear to me in the Barbie movie. I don't, did you see the Barbie movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. Hopefully I mean, people like, forgive me. I need to see these movies so I can actually speak to yeah. this with credibility. I saw the movie. Right. <laughs> right. And one point I made out, I, I made in one of the reviews I did was that it's like they tried to have a good male character, like a good man, but they weren't able to do it because they're removing everything that makes men good. They're removing chivalry and uh, protection and provision and using their strength to protect. And so you take all that away and really all you're left with is a guy that's just kind of an idiot trying to figure things out or or maybe just like a buffoon that like the, the husband of one of the main characters. But I love that you talk about kind of five things that really hallmark a godly man. Would you talk about those things? Because I think it's important for us to keep those things front and center. Yeah, and a few of those things uh, we need to know that just these come from Scripture. Like we can find everything we need in Scripture. It's sufficient, and it's obviously Second Timothy three sixteen. It's just we can go to the Word of God for everything. It's not going to yeah. break down specifics of transgenderism or things like some of these things that we deal. Um, but it's going to give you uh, the blueprint of how to fight against these things and maybe how to pray about these things, how to interact with uh, your church members in order to make sure that we have a better and more flourishing society and that we are a remnant that is faithful to Christ and his mm -hmm. word. But a couple of those things are, and I'm super excited now too, that I, I just got engaged. So Yay. when I, when I think it, when I think of these things, if I talk about this, I need to live up to this. Yes. I am a fallen sinner and I, and we all need a savior and thank God for his grace and his mercy. But I want to be a provider and protector. That was something I said when I got down on a knee. It would be an honor to be your provider and protector um, from now to the end of your days. And that's something that I think men need to understand. We have a responsibility. It's a God-given responsibility when we are born on this earth. Like We are not meant to be alone. And also, too, hopefully it's encouraging for Maybe some men are listening to this and they're like, they're called the singleness. But I think the vast majority of the time, we need a strong woman by our side, but we also need to be that protector mentally, physically, and spiritually. We need to be that provider mentally, physically, and spiritually. And what is that under? Being a godly leader. And what does a leader look like? He's not some authoritative tyrant that's going to say, you know, wifey, you need to stay here just clean those things over there, go take care of the kids here. It's like, no, we're only better when we are equally yoked with a, with a strong woman by our side. And I know I'm super thankful for Sarah. She's just got the sweetest soul. I am 
way more emotional than she is, which is funny. <laughs> Talking about like manly stuff, but like I get I get riled up about things, uh, and I think she is just such a such a great compliment. But I think right now too, when with men, we have a lot of men that are dipping out on their marriages. They're dipping mm. out on their kids. And they're saying like, man, maybe this is too hard, or maybe they just didn't even have a good understanding of what commitment looked like. Commitment is another thing that's being tossed out the window for men. It's like, oh, it's okay to like date around. It's okay to have like multiple girlfriends, like just go through your phase. Like this is, this is your time to just kind of like live it up a little bit. It's like, no, all these things do is they tear you apart and they take away from your future relationship that, that God's given you. And I think uh, if men start focusing on on these things more and know that they have a responsibility to lead, uh, that's another thing that a lot of our progressive society won't understand is like men are called to be pastors. Women aren't called to be pastors at all. A lot of women could go up on stage and they could say some incredibly theologically sound things. They can say some really encouraging things. But in general, is that actually honoring God and his word? No. Like they are called to that position. And that's not to say that men are more elite than women. Uh, right. You know, there's been plenty of times with the SBC uh, vote coming out and booting out Saddleback and, and Rick Warren and Rick Warren, who clearly just does not have a biblical understanding of what this looks like. And yeah. obviously the way that he's tried to explain uh, elevating women as pastors is lackluster at best. But I think women need to know too, that that's a very tough position. That is an incredibly difficult position. That is. Oh yeah, I don't want that position. It's a servant leader. Like that's that's not somebody that. And yes, we see so many mega pastors now too. That like they're making a ton of money. They got jets. They got this. They got that. They look nice. They got a beautiful wife. But like, are they actually living into that pastoral role, that leadership role? And then you know, men, you should be courting girls. Like you should not just be dating around. You should have a clear intention of why you're with women. Our dating culture has been just totally decimated. Mm. Uh, and then obviously getting into the physical aspect of things is ruining relationships. Moving in um, with girls is absolutely ruining men and relationships. There's, I mean, the divorce rate for Christians is the same as secular people. And why is that? It's because we're moving in. We don't have a clear biblical understanding of what marriage is or what leadership is. And I think that goes to like the last thing is, uh, I know I didn't put that in my, in my five things, but a lot of these things come down to biblical literacy. Do you Mm. actually understand what the word says and what God is calling you to? And I know I'm constantly challenged in that. And the, the book I just read, uh, what do you must be to marry my daughter by Bodhi Bauckham read that up. And I was like, okay, I need to live into some of these things. And I think if men started taking upon that role, understanding their leadership role, understanding servant leadership, we'd have a better society. Well, I hope you're getting a lot out of this conversation with John Root. I wanted to come in for just a moment and let you know about one of today's sponsors, and that is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is a meat delivery service where you get grass-fed beef, better-than-organic chicken, seafood, pork, all delivered to your door, frozen, ready to go in your freezer. And there are so many reasons I love Good Ranchers. Number one, I love that they're founded and owned by Christians with Christian values. They're not giving your money to woke companies or to causes that conflict with your biblical values. 
I love that the meat is so high quality and almost all the meat we consume in our home now comes from Good Ranchers and my kids love it. They always say, is this Good Ranchers? And they know it's going to be good if it's Good Ranchers. So September is a great time to sign up for a subscription with Good Ranchers because not only can you use my code, which is Elisa, to get $25 off your first box, but you're going to get two years of free ground beef. This is an amazing deal. This is a great time to take advantage of that. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ALISA for $25 off your first box plus two years of free ground beef. That's GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ALISA. Wow, that's that's such good stuff. Um, and I will give a little bit of hope on that statistic about um, the divorce rates being the same. I think, and I have to go back and find the thing, but I don't know if you've seen this, but when you actually parse out the actual level of commitment to like how often they go to church. So in other words, the real mm. devoted Christians, I think it's a little bit lower, but I'll have to double check that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's true though. It's way higher than it should be. That's, I think that's yeah. the the main point is it's way higher than it should be. No, that's really good stuff. And I, I was just looking for a post by my friend, Sam Say, he's been on the podcast before and oh, he said Sam. something. Yeah, you know, Sam, he, he said a, a trad wife, cause that's the trend, right? The traditional wife, trad wife. It's like a big trend on social media and stuff. He said, but a trad wife is not the same as a godly wife. Let's not confuse the two. And and I think that would be like kind of summing up what you're saying is that a lot of these these values would be shared. There's overlap, but we have to have Christ at the center. And sometimes that's going to look a little different than maybe even the mainstream conserv conservative culture and as far as what they might promote in the world. So that's really good. Let's move on to um, the next one that we, we kind of talked through before we went on the air. What are the main ways we could sort of frame this discussion. So the next one, and this is something I'm becoming increasingly more concerned about, is that um, kind of putting the Bible aside and seeing everything through an Americanized lens, almost in a way. Uh, now, I want to be really fair to people, because I know so many people, John, who just because they have happened to vote Republican or they might have even voted for Trump or something like that, they get called a Christian nationalist and they get all these labels thrown on them. And that's just dumb. I mean, that's really dumb. But then we do see this thing emerge where there does seem to be a genuine expression of this in some churches where people are looking to America to be their savior, even in church, and they're and they're maybe making politics their savior rather than Jesus. So talk about what you're seeing in that arena of the Christless conservatism we're talking about. Yeah, and I know specifically like General Michael Flynn, he spoke at a church saying that like just maybe your pastor should toss the Bible aside for a second and start reading the Constitution and understand the Constitution. It's like, we wouldn't have the Constitution without the Bible. And yeah. also, do you believe that the Bible is not sufficient? And I know other things that we're seeing too is, I, I know you've talked about the New Apostolic Reformation. It's like, yeah. where are a lot of these very Americanized dominionism coming from? The New Apostolic Reformation. You got people like Lance Wall now that are pushing the Seven Mountain Mandate. That's like right. somehow we, we are the new Israel. Like, and it sounds, you know, maybe even a little bit Mormon to say that, like, yep, now everything revolves around America. And it's like, man, we have some major issues in the American church. And if mm. we start thinking of ourselves as more highly than anywhere else in the world, so many faithful Christians are actually going through real physical persecution and not saying that people didn't go through that here in the pandemic, like I know I just watched the essential church and there's so many pastors that stood strong with their congregation and fought back, but there's people that are losing their lives. And if people are starting to think that, you know what, 
maybe God does want America to be the epicenter of his return. Like we need to start like, and that clearly just shows there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. <laughs> there's a lot of people that think like, man, if America falls almost like, what is God going to do? Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, God, like America is beautiful and I am willing to fight for America tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Um, and there's a lot of people that have sacrificed their lives for this country and I applaud them and I thank them. And there's so many men and women overseas right now too, that are, that are put in some incredible sacrificial work. But if people are starting to think that America is the new Zion, I think it's a danger. I think it's a dangerous place to be. And um, I think that's why we're seeing more pastors become more political than biblical. Uh, They're expected to speak out on political issues and then, they can water down the gospel uh, in this Americanized way. You got things like the "We the People" Bible. <laughs> that's oh my that's, goodness. Um, you got the Founders Bible, to where you got letters from founding fathers in between the pages of, of God's Word, and you got the Constitution in there. Like, I don't believe that. Like, you don't need an American flag on your on your Bible cover. Like this, we don't need an American lens to look at things. Because I think it can be just as bad, just like we hear things about CRT. You're now looking at things through this racial lens. If you want to look at everything, this Americanized conservative lens, you're starting at the wrong point. It's almost, you're just eisegesising the text. And I think that's where people, they come to these conclusions based on their politics rather than what God says in context. And if we keep going down this road, we're going to see people start villainizing expository preachers because they're not technically speaking out on these political issues um, as much as other people. But what's going to happen if we're continually biblically illiterate? We're not going to understand right and wrong. We're not going to understand the morals that God has has given us innately and in in his word. So I I know I've spoken out about that quite a bit. Definitely. Like I, I get quite a bit of pushback. But I think that's why we should be careful about who we partner with, what we promote, and really what these pastors are saying based off a really Americanized, politicized pulpit. Mm. Okay, I have so much to say about this because this is, uh, you know, you mentioned NAR, and I think it's important. I want to start there because so many of the ways people are approaching this, they may not even realize it. They don't realize that so much of this is coming from NAR. And if we have viewers and listeners who are unfamiliar with that phrase, it's an acronym that stands for New Apostolic Reformation. And it's essentially defined by churches who believe that the modern church is governed by modern day apostles, which were reinstituted by God at some point in the 90s. And so in many cases, it's very hard to discern NAR because NAR people are gonna check all of the right boxes theologically, as far as when it comes to the gospel. They're going to tell you the Bible's inerrant. They're going to tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he died and rose again. He's God. He's returning. They're going to they're going to affirm all of that stuff, but there's so much extra biblical stuff that happens around that, that it really taints the actual gospel that they might claim to believe. And so what you're talking about with this Americanized lens of, you know, this is the new Zion, Jesus, basically, that that's so well put that it's like this Americanized lens. That's coming from this extra biblical revelation that's coming from these prophets and apostles in the new apostolic reformation. And I have seen so many 
well-meaning Christians who are just, they're unfamiliar with what the NAR is, join together with NAR leaders. You mentioned Lance Walnow, he's one of them. And there are other ones like Cheon and some others who, who have this whole different kind of view of Christianity as far as all the extra biblical stuff. And so, but, but here's what NAR is really good at. They're really good at doing the unity thing. They're really good at getting everybody together. And here's the truth. And, and, you know, I'm not comparing NAR to Mormonism right here, but in this way, there is a similarity where you're going to meet Mormons who are some of the nicest, most sincere, dedicated in their beliefs, um, pr maybe even pray more than you do, are more dedicated to their, you know, study than you are. But that doesn't mean that what they're saying is correct. And so what NAR is so brilliant at is getting a lot of people together under the guise of maybe a prayer rally at some location or let's all come together and pray for revival. That Who doesn't want to do that, right? Who doesn't want to get together and pray for revival? So you have these unsuspecting churches unifying with NAR churches because they think they're just going to go pray for revival and they don't realize there is so much problematic theology that's under underpinning so much of it. And there's even like online prayer meetings where I've seen well-meaning Christians, man, we, they pray for like two hours. We, we are going to join in and pray, but they don't realize that this is what NAR does. This is what they've been doing for 20 years is they're just so good at the unity thing. They're very sincere. They're very earnest people and they're very dedicated. So it, it can come off as uh, like Christian authenticity, and it can be very deceptive, uh, especially when it comes to all of this kind of Americanized lens. And here's just one example that I wanted to give. I've told this, I think I told this on the podcast a while back one time. I try not to, you know, overtell stories. I don't want my my regular listeners to get annoyed, but I was invited to a church that was local here. And so many people that I love and respect are like, oh, this church is so awesome. They're speaking truth. They're not afraid to talk about the tough topics. And I was like, well, this is great. So I visited there with some, some people and I was so discouraged because in the sermon, it's like the resurrection and the gospel was intertwined with maybe very specific ways that you should think about the role of the police, very specific things about masks. And look, I have opinions on those things. I certainly do. But you almost couldn't tell the difference between that and the gospel. So if I just kept thinking, if I wasn't a Christian and I didn't know what the gospel was, I would definitely think I have to be for this, against this, and speaking out about this, that are all secondary issues to the gospel. And it was so discouraging because I'm just thinking, I would be very confused if I didn't know what the gospel is. And so I think there's a danger in that. Well, there's like a works-based salvation there. Where it's like yeah. you need you need to do these things. And if you don't do these things, you're going to be shunned from this conservatized lens of the Bible or church. And I think, too, when, when you're going to – people need to have an understand what is revival. Um, mm -hmm. And that is – we, we know that that comes from repentance. There has to be an understanding of how we have wronged God individually and collectively and not been good stewards of what he's provided us. Like, is that repentance happening? Is there a clear understanding that God is still sovereign? And there's a almost like pleading with him where it's like we are turning away from our sin and we are coming back to God. And that's also the faithful remnant doing that. So it's not this highly emotionalism. And that's what we see now, too, is if and that's why I encourage people to if you are listening to Bethel music. Get an understanding of what Bethel Church 
is. It the yeah. music is unbelievable when you listen to it. Like it's the so good. voices yeah. are fantastic. The musicians and um, instruments and some of every... the best singers anywhere. I mean, it's it just breaks yeah. my heart because it is so sonically amazing music. Mm -hmm. And then that's the thing too is they'll they'll give you bits and pieces of truth. There's going to be some songs that you listen to and you're like, yeah, theologically that sounds like that sounds fine, but what foundation is that coming from? And I always tell people too, like another Mormon example of we could just read without understanding where it's coming from a few passages from the Book of Mormon, and we might come together, you and I, and then all the listeners be like, that sounds pretty good. I feel like I would, um, yeah, I, I'd probably agree with that. And then when you find out where that comes from, you're like, oh, wait, like that's that's not what I want to base my life off of. That's extra biblical accounts. Those are things that are trying to be authoritative when, when they shouldn't be. And I think with this um, idea of emotionalism too, if you're going mm -hmm. to, if you're facing, uh, Kosti Hinn said this, so I, I won't, won't take this and try to say this is me. Kosti has been a great friend out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And he said, if you are too busy chasing revival events instead of chasing your church and serving at your church, mm. you're doing it. And I think if we start flipping our mindset to say like revival doesn't happen, if you felt like you had some like unbelievable experience with God, you also have these people that are telling you to decree and declare uh, these certain things. Like you are telling God what to do. I try to find in the Bible where people uh, are either told to, or they tried to tell God, hey, you need to do this. And then God somehow followed suit. That is not biblical at all. And they, they make these false promises. And some things that could potentially come to fruition is you might feel at that event that your depression and anxiety is lessened because you're, you got an emotional high. But do we see a continuous um, anxiety and depression subsiding uh, over time? Or was it just kind of just that that event where they're trying to tell you like, oh, the Holy Spirit, he, he's really here. He's healing you. He's healing you right now. And it's so manipulative. And I think it's hurting people because they now chase after that high, that mm. emotional high, um, and feel like, you know, maybe reading the Bible and going through numbers is like, I don't know, it seems kind of boring. Yeah. I'm not really feeling God in this. I don't get I don't get the story. Like, I want that high again. People look for that. And I think that's why you're going to see a lot of continuously false converts through these mm. events and these people that are just like, Oh wait, I thought revival happened in America. You know, like why did this election not go the way we thought it would? Or why do I kind of feel like a little bit depressed again? Or why are there so much drag queen story hours in this place? Why are men competing with women in, in their sports? Like I thought revival happened. There needs to be a better, clear biblical understanding of these things and know that, there might be some people with good intentions and there's other people that know wholeheartedly what they're doing. They make money off you. They uh, grow their platforms off you and they're really not doing God's work. They're doing their own work and making themselves their own God. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, is... let me go off. No, I'm no, just, I love so it. <laughs> I love it. Just, I, oh my gosh, such great stuff. And also I'll point out too that a lot of, you know, you mentioned repentance. That's the sign of true revival is, is being so convicted for your sin that you, you know, you're realizing how much you have sinned against a holy God. I forget who called it cosmic treason, right? And you're just turning from that and turning to Christ. But that's another counterfeit that will happen at some of these events is they will preach, quote unquote, 
quote, repentance, but what they're really meaning is like, oh, Lord, you know, forgive America for this. And we just repent in place of these people that did this or that. And rather than it being like actual personal repentance against your about your sins, it's sort of like this this corporate, like, we repent for this, Lord, so we want you to come do something now. And it's so often based on bad interpretations of the Old Testament, you know, using all those verses that were meant for Israel, the covenant with Israel, and applying them to America, which you don't want because you don't want the curse that comes with the, the disobedience, America, I got news. But um, like, I, I will tell you, I was at a church that ended up going into NAR and we had to, to leave. And I haven't talked a whole lot about this on the podcast, but it's going to be featured, the story is going to be in the next American Gospel movie. So I might as well just, you know, let the cat out of the bag now. But, you know, I we... I can't wait the, for that movie, too. I know. I'm on the edge of my seat for that. I, I know. And, and everybody who's listening, please pray for Brandon, who is the director and the, the kind of spearhead of that um, that whole movie. It's He's putting so much work into it, and it's, it's so amazing. I've been able to have little sneak peeks along the way, and it's really important work that he's doing, so pray for him. But you know, in the in that church that ended up going into the NAR, the pastor called a sac- what he called a sacred assembly, and a sacred assembly is an Old Testament thing that Israel did. It was uh, an assembly or gathering of the. I'm reading from Got Questions right now. <laughs> it's a gathering of the people of Israel for a sacred feast, festival, or holy occasion. It was um, included a ritual of purification, observing a state of holiness, and that everybody was, you know, in the community. They were commanded to do no work, and it was called a solemn meeting or sacred assembly. Well, this pastor called a sacred assembly and actually read some of the curses from the Old Testament saying, if you don't come, if you don't physically show up for this thing, like this is what happened in the Old Testament. I I don't know if he went so far to say this curse is going to be upon you, but it was so manipulative. And I remember just, this was kind of early in my apologetics ministry. So I was still confused about a few things. I mean, my general faith had been stabilized underneath me, but I didn't really know about NAR and what this was all about. But I just remember thinking, that's not what that's about. And I, I actually felt no compulsion to go, and I didn't go. I was like, that's, that is not what this that verse is about. That is not how it applies to me or you or anyone else. That is just manipulation. And so very often with the NAR sort of infiltration into some of these things, there will be a misuse of the Old Testament scriptures because they, in in not saying everybody does, but many of them do believe that America is like a new Israel or has a, a unique relationship with God, much like Israel, so that they can apply some of those promises. And that's scary theology. 100%. And I think that's, it's such a good point when you say like, uh, you want the blessings, but that curse part, uh, you just kind of feel like oh, that that won't really apply to us, right? Like people need to understand, like if you want to be elevated to a specific position, I mean, I mean, I come from a big sports background. If you want to be the quarterback, you are going to have to speak for the team. You are going to be praised. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be highly criticized. Like, do you actually want that role? And I think when people try to make this Americanized gospel, uh, that's why I feel like American gospel has done such a great job breaking all that stuff down to think that, man, we are so much more important over here in the West than any other church uh, and how God is moving overseas is nowhere near like how he's moving in America. It's like just plain and simple. We aren't a Christian nation. We have we look a lot more like Babylon than we do Mm. God's. Um, And I Anybody that would come and visit America, if they spend a good amount of time, 
I think they would agree with my statement right there that there doesn't seem to be a lot of God-honoring, God-centered people, churches, and communities, and especially governments. Like, there's been a total disregard in uh, in who God is and what He's giving us. So, yeah. I hope that people start to open their eyes, open their ears, open their hearts and, and minds to to know that hey, there's probably persecution coming here in America, and are you going to remain faithful? Uh, just when it's good? Or do you want to say, hey, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you and your church uh, for as long uh, as, I'm, as I'm on this earth? Um, I think a lot of people, we start to see when the going gets tough, they're like, ah, God must not care about me anymore, or care about my church or, or care about America. And I, I hope that people start to lay that foundation. That's why I think we need solid pastors. Start looking to solid male, male leaders in the pulpit that are might not be as eccentric as some of these people that you see online and also knowing too that like we we cover faith topics online but we're not people's pastors i'm not somebody's pastor i want to be encouraging to people and um, push them to uh, grow in their relationship with god through through his word and, and through the church but like you need to be in community you need to be in discipleship and you need to be at the church and if you aren't serving there you're missing out. You're looking for kind of just this this little buzz from some Christian influencers online. You're looking for these uh, favorite pastors that you might just watch on YouTube. But if you're not in community, you're, you're really missing it. Um, and it could it could lead to um, some more falling away if people continue to go down that route. Mm, that's good stuff. And also, um, I just wanted to bring around the point of, you know, there's probably people listening to us and watching us who feel so caught because, and this is something we can all learn from history. The patterns of history are that when something really crazy comes in on one side, we tend to overcorrect on the other side and swing the pendulum like way far to the other side. And I think that's what we're seeing. And people feel caught between the two. And um, even I want to speak to Christians, you know, if, if any of you listened or, or watched my episode with John Cooper a few weeks ago, where we talked about Big Eva and how so often, I love the way John said it, it's like they lean left and punch right. You know, it's like if you're a conservative Christian, they're going to lean left because they want, I don't know what they're, I don't know, I don't want to claim to know their motivation, but but they'll always jab at the right, even though they might hold, you know, real orthodox theology when it comes to the boxes we check for the gospel. And, and there might be Christians who are like, I'm so sick of that. I'm so sick of people taking shots at me, telling me that everything I'm doing because I'm not leaning left politically, I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm not doing this. And so the tendency, the temptation can be to overcorrect, right? And just go full on American lens. I'm just going to, you know, I've had it. So I'm going to just like that country song curse everybody out. But I would just urge our our listeners and our and our viewers that we are Christians and we are citizens of a different place. We are citizens of heaven. And I love my country. And like you said, I will fight for my country. I am I have the great I have hope for America. I'm in I try to stay engaged politically. I think it's important for Christians to do that because we have the opportunity to be engaged politically, which the first century Christians didn't have that opportunity. I mean they were just in a full on empire that they were, you know, you know, they were not, they didn't have any power. We actually have some power. That's, and that's beautiful mm -hmm. about our country. And we should take that seriously and not just, you know, overcorrect on that side and just say, you know, because that's my tendency. I'll just be honest. It's just to say, 
the politics thing is just like, blech, blech, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I know I have to stay engaged. And I do as a Christian, you know, because I have that great right, I try to do that. But I would just encourage everybody, don't swing to the extremes. I mean, just keep your keep your focus. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your focus on God's word. Live that out. Obey that as best you can. And find a church where they're teaching the Bible. I love what you said there, John, earlier. It was really important because you said when people get more of an Americanized lens than anything else, they're not going to be satisfied with a, a Bible teacher that just goes straight through the Bible. Because you might be in, you know, Hebrews and it might not apply to something that's happening culturally, but a, a, a pastor that's preaching straight through the Bible is going to touch on every issue that's in culture at one point or another because, you know, that that's it's just always going to rub against culture, what the Bible says. And I do know many pastors who generally do that, and they might take a week out to speak to something that's really important in culture that's happening, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate pastors who have a backbone to speak out about the things that others are afraid to. But yeah, I guess my encouragement— Yeah, those topical sermons are so important at times. Like, I mean, those are the things, like, I, I'm sure you covered, too— uh, that we didn't see a lot of major Christian uh, prominent uh, pastors or podcasts or YouTube channels cover the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Like that's yeah. the time to have a real topical sermon. And you you might be going through Matthew for the next 14 and a half years. Like you might go straight John MacArthur through the whole thing and maybe do two verses per, per sermon. <laughs> but if something like this happens, there needs to be a clear understanding. That's what I love. My, my church out here, Sean, uh, Pastor Sean Myers from Pella Communities in downtown Glendale, Arizona, he did a whole like theology of life. Like how does God view the unborn and how should we be engaging um, in this situation? And it was obviously just timely because it actually ended up leading up to the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Like in God's oh. providence, it, it led to um, the climax of that sermon series was the overturn it's oh, like wow. hey you have a yeah. clear understanding of of what this is and and that's again too is if you go through the uh the michael flynn route it's like yeah you might understand the constitution but the constitution is not telling you how to live a moral life it's telling mm -hmm. you what uh rules we have here the rights that we have here which are beautiful and we can understand the the privilege that we have to be americans but if we don't have a clear understanding of the Bible, how are we supposed to even interact with culture? How are we supposed to interact with politics? How are we supposed to interact with our neighbor? How are we supposed to love this and be against that? Like those, those things that if we, if we decide that we're going to toss away the Bible or create our own Jesus, you talk about deconstructionism too. Like people have to be careful that you're going to get bits and pieces of truth. And if people can't explain this, with scripture, maybe start asking more questions or at times you might just need to leave that place where if they're just like, ah, this is just kind of how I feel. Yeah. The, the Bible is not about how just you feel. It's like, what is God telling us? Like this is supposed yeah. to be his inerrant word that's authoritative. And if we have people now telling us that like, I don't know, it's, it's a different day and age now. I don't know if God would have known that uh, America would go this way. It's like, People have to understand that is one of the most ridiculous things that people can say that if we're going to read the Bible and be like the And last thing I'll say here for this little point is I remember when I was a, a younger Christian, I would have a Bible study and, and we'd read a passage and you might get the question right after we read that passage. That's, Hey, what, 
what did that mean to you? Like yeah. in general, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a bad question, but it's not the place to start. If you don't have a clear context and understanding of, especially like you said, like maybe it's just speaking to God's people of Israel and we aren't God's people of Israel in America. Like we are, we are God's children. Yes. As believers and followers of Christ. But if we don't have a clear context of what this means and maybe how it's uh, pulling from the old Testament a little bit and now revealing that through the, uh, the new Testament, we're going to start falling astray and we're going to start kind of making our own idea of who Jesus is, what the gospel is and uh, really what love is. All these terms can be now redefined if we decide that we are the arbiter of truth, that we can almost be our own God and and tell people what it means. Mm. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to try and at least touch on the LGBTQ plus issue as it relates to Christless conservatism, because that's one thing I've been sort of alarmed about a little bit is that there seems to be some unholy alliances uh, things and you mentioned early in the podcast. There's a bit of a punting. So talk about about the Christless conservatism of how it might manifest in the LGBTQ plus conversation. Yes, and the alphabet is very long now. But I think yeah. if we just stick to the LGBTQIA plus, I guess that's what we got. There might be some two in there or something. But what I'm seeing is like LGBTQ. If we just focus on that. Uh, get rid of all those nonsensical letters. All these letters are nonsensical. LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual, has been punted by the conservative party. They have said that this fight is over, that uh, gay marriage is now legalized. Um, gay people and people that are okay with uh, gay marriage, and I'll say marriage in quotes because that's not a marriage. That's that's basically just some civil union recognized by uh, the country Mar- marriage is between one man and one woman that's been established by God. We can't redefine it. We don't have the ability to play God and redefine it and tell God, Hey, we now got a different idea of what, what marriage is. They have punted that issue because they know there is some voters out there that are going to be middle right that either are lesbian, gay, or bisexual that may vote for people like DeSantis or Trump, or they might like, Vivek Ramaswamy, or they might like some aspects of the conservative party, things like gays against groomers. They do some, some moral work, I guess we could say like, yeah, there's some people that are fighting against the um, abuse of kids and sexualization of curriculums in in school, but it's like an oxymoron. Um, It's like thieves against murderers. And it doesn't really make sense much at all, but they're now being invited into the conservative party. And I know a lot of people are going to say, they're like, all right, yes, these politicians, they aren't running for pastor in chief, they're running for commander in chief. (laughs) Vivek Ramaswamy has brought that up. I put that in a YouTube video. It's a funny little line, like, yes, that's true. And like, yes, we understand that you wanna have your own version of the separation between church and state. like. We wouldn't really have this state without Christ Church. <laughs> and we have to understand too that this is a nation and it's not a it's not a church. But once we get that that understanding there too, that LGBTQ issues, it's ruining the church. And it's go, also going to ruin this nation if we continue to allow people to now call these things marriages. Uh, let sexual depravity run rampant. Yes, there's still a lot of heterosexual 
sexual immorality. Yes, we, we will always, always mention that. But if the conservative party is going to say the foundation of America is the family and we are going to redefine what the family looks like, it's a disservice to children that have two dads in the home or two moms in the home. Uh, it's a disservice to these people to make them believe that they can basically go through sodomy just because they have their own idea of what love is like all they're doing is punting this situation because they feel like the pendulum is swung so far that this is kind of what we need to do to, to get votes. And I think it's incredibly dangerous. And that's why I really hope that we have more solid pastors that give people a biblical understanding of, we still love these people dearly. So, so much. We love them enough to give them the truth. Um, but we don't see adultery being promoted. We don't say like, hey, you know, yeah. adultery, like we're now in this day and age where it's like, you know, you, you just don't feel like you can get, get enough from your one significant other. So just kind of like get those hall passes. Um, I think we're seeing kind of the same sexual morality here with the LGBTQ issues. And the final thing here is I, I really don't believe there is bisexuality is just skyrocketing with younger mm -hmm. people, especially since they're getting sexualized curriculum. They're being exposed to sexualization at a younger age, which is just child abuse. But I really don't believe there's any such thing as bisexuality. Like you aren't attracted to two genders. Like you're just a um, sexually depraved individual that just feels like you want to get your fix on, on both sides. I don't believe that people are, are born that way at all. Right. And if you give into it and you expect people to accept you for that, again, it's the slippery slope. If we start accepting this and we start redefining marriage, all we're doing is slapping God in the face and say, hey, we are now God ourselves. We can redefine these things. God, thanks for some of the work you did in the past. We got it. Here's the thing, like, I, you know, it can be discouraging to think about as a Christian, but we know that God is on his throne. He is sovereign. And I think so many young people especially are going to get to the bottom of this whole LGBTQ plus rainbow and find that there's not a pot of gold down there. There's just emptiness. And when we work against our design, when we work against our purpose for which God created us, which is deeply rooted in the fact that we're made in the image of God, but also we're created to worship God, to be in relationship with him. Um, and when we work against those things in any area, we're going we're gonna to get to the end of that and there's going to be emptiness, which is why we need a strong church. We need a strong church for when we see people starting to get to the bottom of all that and say, look, I need some meaning. I need to know what will fix what's wrong in me. And, and you know, even the Holy Spirit convicting people of being sinners and all of this, the church needs to be ready. And um, so I just, I love everything you're saying. I want you to give some final words of encouragement to anybody who might be watching or listening to this, Christians out there generally who listen to this. What, how would you encourage them today? I want people to be encouraged to know that like, yes, your, your vote matters. So if we're just talking about Christless conservatism and the, and the issue with it, I hope that you'll start reading your Bible more and understand like some of the things that we've talked about here, like if there's anything that I'm saying that you don't believe is biblically based, you can easily just reach out to me and say like, ah, I got some questions here. I don't really agree with that there. We have uh, presidential uh, debates coming up. We have a big election coming up, and I hope that people don't start to fall into this lull and this 
tractor beam of this will save America. If we get the right guy on the right side in the Oval Office, that's what's going to save this place. Couldn't be more wrong. Yes, you're, uh, you should vote with your Bible. Uh, but while you're starting to interact with these things, have conversations online or family members as we got the holidays coming up, hopefully there's a, there's a clear understanding of like, yes, we need to fight against evil, but we need to know that God reigns. And then anybody that we elevate to this position uh, with our vote, and obviously God is going to will everything. He has Biden in office for uh, a specific reason. Sometimes we don't understand God's will, uh, but that's what we have right now. But if we do truly want to save this nation, we need Christ and we need to honor Christ and we need to follow Christ and we need Christ in every bit of our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our relationships, in our little interactions in the grocery store, those uh, gas stations, any little things like that. I think if we start to get a clear understanding of why we believe these things and how we can do immensely more with Christ and Christ at the center. Um, I think we'll start to see this place potentially turn around. But again, that's all God's will. We could completely surrender. We could repent. Um, but God might just say, hey, this is this is time for America's time is done. But I, I'd much rather be fighting for, for God and his word alongside faithful mm -hmm. Christians than be like, oh, I wish I would have done this. And now it, it might seem a little too late. Okay, good. Tell people where they can connect with you online and YouTube and all the places. So you guys can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Johnny Root underscore J-O-N-N-Y-R-O-O-T underscore. I'm trying to set my YouTube game up a little bit. So it's at John Root, J-O-N-R-O-O-T on YouTube. But this is, this is great. I love these conversations and I'm trying to create my own little space for for these conversations too because i think it's in it's incredibly important especially with the the state of our nation and where we're going awesome well i want to thank my guest john root for coming on and having such a great conversation today uh, i want to let you know if you're interested in my new music you can go to elisachilders.com music and pre-order a new five song ep that i've uh, coming out with on october 24th i also want to mention that if you loved this conversation and you want to hear more of it you can go to patreon.com elisa you can join our patreon community there there are different tiers you can look at but at one of the tiers you can actually receive access to some bonus content we're about to record with John right now. We're going to talk a little bit further where you get to ask the questions. So again, that's patreon.com slash Alisa. also want to thank Southern Evangelical Seminary, who is one of the sponsors of today's podcast. Go to ses.edu slash Alisa to download a free ebook and find out all the reasons why I love SES and will probably take classes there for the rest of my life. ses.edu slash Alisa. And let's also remember that as we pursue Christ, let's keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. And we'll see you next time. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. 
New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.